Our gospel reading this morning comes from Luke in the second chapter, beginning in the 22nd verse. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And so guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, I want to ask you to consider a couple of scenarios with me this morning. Imagine that you're in the checkout line at Target. You've got maybe $50 worth of purchases. For the sake of argument, we're going to imagine that you've left all your credit cards at home and you have just enough cash to cover the cost of your items, but just as you reach the cashier, you're approached by someone who explains to you that as bizarre as it sounds, they are just $50 short of the money they need to make their next rent payment or remain solvent on their home. I doubt there are too many of us who, faced with such a straightforward situation, wouldn't be willing to sacrifice our few target items for the sake of someone else's well-being. Let's raise the stakes a little bit. This time you're at a car dealership. You're all ready to sign the lease on a vehicle that you really need. Not only is it going to provide you your transportation to and from work, maybe it's going to help you get your kids where they need to go to school every day, and it's going to ensure your access to things you need, like groceries and things at Target. But just as you're ready to sign on that dotted line, you become similarly aware that the amount of money you're about to invest in that monthly lease spent elsewhere could really change the course of life for a village or a community. Even if it meant having to take public transportation or having to find rides with friends or family, I'd argue that a fair number of people might be willing to make such a sacrifice if they truly believed their choice could have a transformative effect on someone else. As I thought about my sermon this morning, I was able to come up with endless scenarios like these. 
Would you be willing to pass on buying your first home if that down payment could end violence in a part of the world? Would you forego your constitutional right to bear arms if it could guarantee that there would never be another school shooting? I suggest to you this morning that human beings are willing to make some pretty spectacular sacrifices when they truly believe those sacrifices will change lives. Take, for example, the men and women who serve in our armed forces, or those who surrender years of their lives to participate in the Peace Corps. I recognize there are varying degrees to which we're each willing to put ourselves out for the sake of others, but I suggest to you this morning that there are few among us who would remain completely unresponsive if we truly believed that our actions and our gifts and our decisions could have such a transformative effect. Indeed, our expectations and our beliefs about the future profoundly affect our actions and our decisions. We've just completed our journey through Advent and we've celebrated Christmas, and it seems that at this time of year, we hear quite a bit of talk about the unexpected nature of Jesus' arrival in the world. Certainly, we can point to a lot of elements of the story that could be described as unexpected. But I think our gospel reading today provides an interesting counterbalance to the notion that Jesus' birth was a total surprise. In the reading we just heard from Luke, Jesus' parents follow the customary practice of taking their firstborn son to the temple to be dedicated to God. And while there, they are met by an expectant visitor. Simeon, an old man, righteous and devout, has come to the temple at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and once there, he recognizes Jesus immediately for who he is and begins to sing praises that the Messiah has come. To Simeon, Jesus' arrival isn't much of a surprise at all because he's been expecting Jesus his whole life. He recognizes the Messiah because he expects a Messiah. Anna, a local prophetess, is much the same. She too comes to meet Jesus, recognizes him immediately, and begins praising God for God's redemptive action in the world. And again, she recognizes God's action in the world because she's expecting it. Perhaps we're disadvantaged in some ways. You know, we hear the words, Christ is born year after year after year. And maybe after four or five or 15 or 45 Christmases, we find ourselves asking, is anything really different? Does this recognition and reminder of the presence of God in the world actually change anything? Or is it just a story without much real, actual effect? I think our answer to that question makes all the difference in the world. Henry Ford is famous for saying, among other things, that whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. In the late 60s, there were a couple of psychologists who did a pretty famous experiment in which they identified some students to their teachers as being especially gifted, or what they called bloomers. And they told these teachers that these students in their classes were expected to perform spectacularly in the year to come. And what do you suppose was the result when they tested those students at the end of the year? Sure enough, they had performed better than the other students in their classes, despite the fact that they had, in fact, been chosen at random. Though the study was too small to be firmly conclusive, it's still cited all the time, and it was suggestive that expectations matter. 
There's another rather typological story that circulates in several variations, but this undoubtedly happens from time to time. One corporate executive recounts his experience hiring a young lady. She's right out of college, and she begins to work for his company immediately after graduation. She seems very talented, but she's unbelievably timid. And so she gets assigned to div division-level work where she basically assists in just doing grunt work on a day-to-day -day basis. Her supervisor finds her to be sort of run-of-the-mill and never assigns her any brainstorming or artistic work. She's frustrated that her talents are squandered, so she applies to the corporate marketing department and is transferred without much scrutiny. Her new supervisor, without any preconceived notion of her, assigns her to a series of very important key projects at which she performs magnificently. Now, a few months later, that first supervisor stands in the office of the second and looks around and says, who is responsible for all this fabulous advertising? And he says, well, that's the young lady you sent me. She's the best hire I've ever found. Expectations matter. So I ask you this morning, what are you looking for in this new year? What are your expectations? Are you really looking for God to be at work in your life in the coming year? Or are you more like that first boss with virtually no expectations for growth or change? What would our lives look like if they were lived as though God was really at work in and around us? I want to suggest three qualities this morning that I believe describe what I'm going to call expectant living. Expectant living is, first of all, hopeful. Look back at Simeon. He was old. He'd been waiting a long time. And if you read up on the history of first century Judaism, you find out that Jesus was not the first person to claim to be the Messiah. There were imposters, leaders who attempted to overthrow the Roman government by force, charismatic upstarts who caused unrest and waged skirmishes. And very often they caused all kinds of trouble and heartache for the Jewish people. Surely Simeon had every reason to say, forget it. This whole Messiah thing is a bunch of nonsense. It's causing more trouble than it's worth. But the author of Luke tells us that Simeon kept his heart in the right place and he was devoted. He held on to hope. What about you? Are you holding on to hope in this new year? Are you leaving room for the possibility that this might be the time when God's spirit breaks in and heals a difficult relationship or a wound that you've been carrying for a long time? Are you leaving room for the possibility that God might be working in and through you to bring about significant change? Live with expectation. Hold on to hope. Second, expectant living invests in people because it recognizes that God works in and through people. So many of our biblical stories are crafted around specific, named individuals, often flawed, quirky, unusual individuals. But these are the ones through whom God works all sorts of miracles and blessings. Even in our reading this morning, it doesn't say that they presented Jesus to some priest who pronounced some blessings. We meet a specific faithful man and a specific visionary woman. And through their faithfulness, all sorts of blessings are spoken over this new baby Jesus. God is clearly present with Simeon and Anna, and they take time to be present for Jesus. What about you? In whom are you investing in this new year? Are you pouring some of your gifts and your talents, 
and your resources into specific individuals who have the potential to be world changers? Are you investing in the young people in your life? For those of you who are young people, are you investing energy in your siblings, in your peers? Are you providing encouragement and wisdom and the best of yourself so that others might be blessed and edified? Live with expectation. Invest in people. Finally, I suggest this morning that an expectant life takes risks because it knows that fear is never the final word. I'm not sure we can draw a great parallel in Simeon and Anna because we don't know enough about their stories, but the entire Christmas narrative that we've shared together this last month is one in which individuals are willing to take risks in order to bring about the reign of God. Mary risks her honor and surrenders her physical self to carry a new baby. Joseph risks his dignity and his status in the community to protect his wife-to-be. What about you? Are you willing to take a risk so that Jesus Christ might be born once again into a world that so clearly needs his presence and his example? Are you willing to lay aside a little bit of your own comfort and security for the advancement of God's kingdom? If we truly believe that God indwells this world in which we live, then we truly and ultimately are held in the hands of God, and fear need not rule the day. Live with expectation. Take a risk. So if we consider our opening examples and so many things like them, we undoubtedly encounter God daily. The question really is whether we expect to see God in our daily encounters. And I have no doubt that some of you, some of us, are called to big tasks in exciting places. The question is whether we are attentive to that call when it comes. So in this new year, may hope be renewed in our hearts. May we be encouraged to truly invest in those around us with courage and energy, recognizing that in doing so, we are responding to God's presence in the world and safe in the knowledge that ultimately, it's God at work in us. Jesus Christ has been born into the world once again. May we truly expect that that changes everything. Amen. <laughs>